0: This is the season of of making lists. In our house, we've made lists of gifts that we're going to buy for our sons and for each other. We made lists of all the items that we need to shop for uh, yesterday and today as we prepare for our, our two sons, who, as I mentioned earlier, are, are arriving tonight by plane from Kansas City. In fact, we've noticed that our grocery bill goes down by about 78% when they're not around. Um, but it's okay, we're glad they're, they're coming. We also made, I made a list at the end of November of all the various things I would be involved in in December. And in, in not only in councils and boards, but also worship services and parties and events and concerts and other things that, that we would be attending. Maybe you've heard, I'm sure you know this, uh, Santa is making a list and checking it twice, wants to see who's naughty and nice. So it's, a, it's really a season of list-making. In fact, earlier this week, we met, as we always do, on Wednesdays here at 1320 to plan all the worship services for the upcoming weekend. This weekend's a little busier than most, as you are aware. We have eight services, starting with the one at 9 o'clock this morning at North Campus, through this one, through all the way through midnight on, on tomorrow night. It's a really busy and kind of a stressful time. Our conference room was packed with everyone gathered with all the worship services lined out in front of us as we went through item by item. And I was feeling that stress in particular. And what I do when I feel that way is I kind of get goofy and act silly and try to make everybody laugh. And sometimes if I get too goofy, we get off track and we get down a couple little rabbit trails and get into conversations that don't help with us, and, and, and Ron Jenkins, you know, our minister of worship and arts, he kept trying to bring us back into the point of what we were doing. We're back here planning. He'd kind of elbow me and say, come on, Glenn, let's get back on track, and, and I'd just get crazy and goofy and go off in another direction again, and finally, Ron just, just couldn't take it anymore, and, and he, sa- he said, Robert Glenn Miles, you're going to be on Santa's naughty list. <laughs> he sounded just like my grandmother. <clears throat> She's the only one who's ever uses or used all three of my names like that. Uh, um, it's, it's, it, was, it was kind of fun, really, to just have a good time with each other as a staff here on the South Campus and get ready for, for the weekend. The, there's something about that, about the season, about Advent, and even the season of Christmas. It's really about making a list, uh, kind, of, kind of taking a step back, as it were, and, and taking an account of things, of our lives, ourselves. Maybe you don't make a list particularly, but I bet you've had a moment or two in this season, and maybe it'll, if it hasn't come, it might come on Christmas, once all the wrap is, is picked up and put away, and the candles are extinguished, and the dinner is done. Uh, there'll be a moment, won't there? Won't there be? when you'll just look at your life and wonder. That's, a, that's what happens during this season. We, we take an accounting of ourselves, of our, of our families, our churches, sometimes even our businesses and our schools and our country even. That's what Advent does. It's an invitation to look at who we are and whose we are, which is essentially what, what Isaiah has done in the text that's, that, bef- that is before us. It's an invitation to take an accounting In fact, he's done that for 10 chapters. Leading up to the chapter that Sally and and Jim just read for us, he's kind of made a list, and it's a tough list. He's essentially saying to the people of Judah and the people of Israel, here are some things that you've forgotten, some things that Moses taught you hundreds of years before to remember. Moses essentially said as they were leaving Egypt, never forget, never forget who we are, that we were at one time, the oppressed. We are at one time the slave. We were at one time the foreigner, the outsider who was stepped on and trampled upon. Always remember when we finally make our way to the promised land, to the place where God wants us to live in harmony with each other and with the world, to treat those who are outside with kindness, with grace, with welcome. And in chapter 10, he gets real specific. He says, you've forgotten. You've forgotten to care for the widow for the poor, for the outcast, for the lonely. That is essentially the, the great failure of the people, is they've failed to remember. They've forgotten the promise they made through the prophet Moses. They've failed to remember who they are and whose they are. And it's clear when Isaiah comes along, it's time for them to remember once again. And so really much of chapter, uh, of, of what comes before chapter 11 is that same kind of list-making, of accounting, of saying, look, here's the way things, this is why things are such a mess in your country, why things are such a, 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 in, so terrible in, in our part of the world. We've forgotten who we are. Prophecy is not about predicting the future. It's an honest evaluation of where they are in their world in their particular moment. But if we stay there, if we stay in that place of naming the failure or whatever it might be in our personal lives, in our families, our country or whatever, if we simply stay there, it creates emotionally unhealthy persons. You see, guilt is never meant to be a place where one resides. Guilt is only a place that moves us across the bridge to a new life. It's not about feeling bad and feeling terrible. It's about saying, yes, here are some things that need attention. Now, how do we move? in the way that, that God likes us to, invites us to live. How can we face the truth of who we are by moving forward into forgiveness? You see, that's what Isaiah does now in chapter 11. He's, he's made these lists. He's had some tough things to say, but here in chapter 11, he theologically speaks to them of hope and expectation. He's looked, he's looked out at, at the vast failure of the many kings who followed in David's place. His line has been at times successful but many times, if not most of the time, they failed to, to remember. But now he has this vision. He sees it in a simple uh, green shoot that comes out of a stump. He sees a vision of hope a new order a new life and a new world. We, we Christians, we read this text and, and we, we see in it a reflection of, of Jesus. A little child shall lead. Do you hear the beauty of that? So when we we gather on on Christmas Eve and we sing of this little child coming to Joseph and Mary and being given as a gift to the world, we hear in, in Isaiah an echo and a vision of that child who will come. In the Christmas story, we hear Isaiah's words almost coming true. The text describes what is called the, the peaceable kingdom. Have you ever seen the painting that was done by Edward Hicks in the 19th century? A lot of preachers have it in their office. Sometimes schools have them in their, in their classrooms or in their hallways. It's a beautiful representation of this text that was read a moment ago of the wolf lying down with the lamb, of, of all these animals gathered together around a little child in the center. And you can't tell from the painting if the child is a girl or a boy. And another interesting thing, John Buchanan, a, a preacher in Chicago, pointed this out to me. Another thing about the painting, all the animals have almost human-like faces, and their eyes are large, almost as if they're startled by what's happening around them. All these former enemies, predators and prey, now lying together, sleeping together, and there at the center is this child. The, the, the idea of the text, the idea that the painting is portraying to us is that if the world finally comes to fruition in the way that Isaiah dreamed of it being, where there's justice and peace, where the widow and the orphan and the weak and the outcast are treated with fairness and kindness, if that's the way the world finally becomes, well then even a child, even a child could lead, provide all the government we need. Here's the thing though, and and Woody Allen kind of points this out, did you remember what Woody Allen said about the wolf and the lamb lying together? He said, it's a beautiful thing, and it's nice for the wolf, but the lamb's not going to get much sleep. (laughs) And that's kind of the point. This is a fantastic text. This is a fantasy text. This is like the Lord of the Rings or like Star Wars. It's not meant to be taken literally. It's Isaiah's dream of, of, of the world and the way it could possibly be. It's an invitation from the Spirit of God for us to see each other, not as enemies, but as friends. I, I'm, I'm firmly convinced that if you and I could learn to accept that we are accepted, could learn to, to recognize the very love of God has been given to even to us, to you, and to me, that that would be the first step, the first seed planted for peace. Now, I know, I know the world is crazy, uh, and I know things are kind of... Even crazier, this, this last week I prayed every day for our leaders in Washington, D.C. I'm concerned about Syria and Afghanistan and China and Russia, and I'm concerned about a variety of issues throughout the Middle East and really, frankly, around the world. I, I don't have any kind of Pollyanna view that if we'd all just smile and, and be loving, then everything would, be, we would take, be taken care of. No, there's some serious issues at work in our world, but I, I'm, I'm still convinced that the beginning that the strongest way for peace to emerge is for you and I to accept first the beauty of God's love already given to us and then look closely enough at the other and see in their eyes what a reflection of our own image, of our own self. When we can get that close, we can finally begin to discover that every person we encounter is a child of God. There's an old Quaker saying that says, an enemy is one whose story we haven't heard. That's the power of this text. When we finally learn enough about the other story, the desire to be enemies fades away. Well, you and I know it's not that easy. It, it's, it's sometimes difficult. We we almost seem to have this, this inbred tendency, I don't know where it comes from, that to just inborn tendency to to create us and them, us versus them, insiders and outsiders, my team versus your team, whatever it might be. I remember several years ago, Julie and I were planning a trip out to the West Coast. We were going, it was in November, we were going to go see the University of California play football against Stanford University. My dad went to Cal, so we're Golden Bear fans. And I was talking to my sister, Carolyn, who's out in the Bay Area now even, and I was talking to her about coming out and we'll be there on Friday, we'll see you guys for dinner, and then what are we, what are we gonna do before the game? And you know, we got into that sort of a planning conversation on the phone, and then I said, and I'm, I'm embarrassed to say this out loud, I said, you know, I just hate those guys so much, I really can't wait to win, it's gonna be so great. Yes, your pastor said those words. I'm sorry, but you know, I kind of meant it in a non, in a sort of a Christian way. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> help me, Jim. I don't know what I'm what I'm saying here. When I said that, my, my sister, she she got real quiet, and I said, "Are you still there?" She said, "Yeah." Do you remember? I almost died from breast cancer a few years ago. Well, yes, of course, of course, I remember. She said. Do you remember where I went for treatment? I, I do. She went to Stanford Medical Center. They saved her life. She's strong today, cancer-free today. She said, it's kind of hard to hate somebody when they, when they saved your life. You know, yeah, you're right. You're right. That, that's, that's the image that... that, that God wants us to, to capture the idea of seeing in the other, not an enemy, not an outsider, not a us versus them, but actually a fellow human being, a sister and brother in the way of life. The Spirit of God, and that's, this is a, a major theme for Isaiah, is the Spirit of God blows across the world and is a spirit of justice and peace and hope, a spirit of righteousness and, and goodwill. This Spirit invites us to live with each other in, in peace. Here at First Community Church, we sometimes call that the Akita spirit. Do you know what happens when we send young people to Akita? There are like 1,500 young people that went to Akita last summer, Maybe, maybe more than that. You know what happens? Every time one of those kids gets off the bus, as soon as they arrive and they step off the bus, someone greets them by name. Susie, Bobby, it's great to see you. Welcome to Akita. We're glad you're here. We're so glad to see them. No matter who they are, no matter where they're from, no matter what their sexual orientation or anything else might be, they are welcomed and loved and accepted. It's the spirit of Akita. We have another phrase for that. It's called the spirit of God. It's the best representation I've seen anywhere ever. For what it means to be a part of the peaceable kingdom. To be a part of the, of the world that God has made for us to live within. This ancient word from Isaiah uses these impossible images of, of children playing with, with snakes. Not to say this is literally the way it's going to be but simply to have us help us understand and see that when justice and fairness and love are made real the world will be so safe that even a child Even a child could lead. This piece begins when you and I simply accept our acceptance and can begin to see the others as those who are also loved. Now, I know that sounds like hyperbole, but that's truly what Jesus came to preach. You might remember that in Luke chapter 4, Jesus gives his first sermon. He stands up and he quotes from the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring release to the captives, to bring bring sight to the blind, new life and new hope to the entire world. And he sits down and says, today this this prophecy has come true in your hearing. I got in trouble for that, but I believe that Isaiah was Jesus' favorite prophet because he saw in Isaiah a reflection of the very thing that he came to this world to proclaim. The spotlight of Isaiah's dream then shines shines brightly on Jesus' life as a way of saying, yes, this is the life, this is the way, This is the truth. This is the one. And his way will bring you to a life-giving existence. Did you hear what I just said there? I'm, I'm, I'm alluding to John chapter 14. It's been a problematic text for Christians sometimes. People have turned it into an us versus them text. It's really not. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Here's a simple way to understand it. Jesus' way is true and it leads to life. His way is true, and it leads to life, a life-giving one, one that's full and rich and alive. Now it's not a promise that everything's going to be smooth and easy. My friend Adam is a great preacher out in, in Kansas City. He told me about a guy who came to his church and had never been to church. He was in his 40s, had never been a, a Christian, was not a religious person, just found his way into church one day, heard Adam preach, heard, heard all the, the readings from Scripture and everything else that went on in worship, but he got hooked somehow. He came back, and he came back, and he came back. Finally, he said, I want to convert. I want to become a Christian. Would you baptize me? Will you welcome me in your church? And of course, it, he was. He was baptized, became a full member of the church. Months later, he came back to see Adam, and he's kind of angry. He's kind of upset. He said, I thought my life was going to be easier after I became a Christian. And Adam kind of laughed and said, you know, Jesus isn't a magic genie that just makes everything go away. And in fact, in some ways, paying attention to Jesus like we're doing today with Isaiah causes us to see the world more clearly, to see our own selves more clearly, to see that there are issues that we ourselves need to deal with. Jesus came to give us life and to speak the truth with grace. And so it's not about finding an easier life. It's about finding a life worth living. I, I did some research last week, uh, this little idea of a, of a shoot growing out of a stump. I wanted to find out more about that, and read different articles here and there, most of them over my head. Then I found this one that talked about the biodome. Do you remember the biodome, like 20 years or so ago? They tried to create this perfect environment that where the air would be just so, and there be just enough water, the temperature would never go up or down, it would stay the same, this perfect environment for everything to see, see how it would handle. And for the most part, everything went very well, except for the trees. The trees would grow a little bit, and then they would fall down. They'd plant a new one, they'd grow a little bit, and then it would fall down. Well, they did some research, and they found that for many trees, if not most, they need wind. They need that experience of the wind blowing, because when the wind blows and the the tree sways a little bit, there are these micro-cracks created in the trunk. And every time the micro-crack is formed, it then heals. And do you see what happens? In the healing, in the cracking and in the healing... The tree becomes strong, and it can continue to grow. It needs those winds of life in order for it to become a strong and healthy tree. I I wonder if there's something for us there today. I I wonder in, in echoing with these words of Isaiah, in looking at our own lives and where we are now and how we are living, maybe in the toughest moments you've had, that was the very wind of God not causing it, But it was the wind of God that helped you stand taller. That in the cracking, there was healing. And in the healing, there was strengthening. Perhaps that's what we need in our world today. Is for that wind, that spirit of God. To to blow across not only you and me and our church. But our country, our planet. As a reminder of the good news. Of the good life that God invites us to live. The simple little song we've been singing for Advent today proclaims, like a child we receive all that love can conceive. Imagine. Imagine a world where a child, even the one who will be born on Christmas morn, where a child, a world where a child can lead with hope and grace let us find the ability we need to welcome that one into our lives into our world amen